This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being, being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. Morning helps you integrate loss and grief so you can move forward with your life. Morning is something you do on purpose and with purpose. It ties together your inner and outer selves. Morning looks as diverse as the people who mourn. A key element of morning is returning to you specific activities or habits that cultivate joy in the broken places in your days. It helps to think of your ever changing life as moving forward along an invisible thread that never changes. While your life evolves through successes and losses, there is a you who is enduring, resilient, and always moving forward. Valeria Telles interviews Kimberly Pittman Schultz, the author of Grieving Us, a field guide for living with loss without losing yourself. Kimberly Pittman Schultz is an award-winning poet and author who writes, teaches, and speaks about death, living mindfully, and being a force for change in the world. She helps those struggling with loss, especially women, cultivate joy in their lives. By following her steps, beginning with simple mindful sensory moments, what she calls tiny come-back-to-you senses rituals, those in grief can learn to create space for joy to emerge and re-engage with life, often through giving to a cause or purpose bigger than themselves. Neither a grief counselor nor a therapist, Kimberly offers a fresh, unique perspective through her personal experiences with loss and grief, as well as her work as a philanthropy and an end-of-life planning advisor. She challenges the common assumption of grief and joy as opposites, believing that they can and do coexist, and that with practice you can grow joy and well-being. Kimberly's book, Grieving Us, was a number one new release on Amazon in several categories upon its release in March 2021. Meet Kimberly at PoetOwl.com. Here is the interview with Kimberly Pittman Schultz. In your own words, who is Kimberly Pittman Schultz? Well, Valeria, that's a that's a tricky question because we're always more than one thing or one person. I think for me, I'm someone who wants to make a difference in the lives of other people. Uh, I feel like by helping other people and trying to, you know, we're all on a path, all on a journey through life. Our paths are different, but we need to support each other. So probably at my most basic self, it's about really trying to help others achieve whatever is meaningful and important to them. I mean, that's that's the starting point for me. When did you realize that? Would you say that this is the purpose, the purpose of your life at this time? And how did you discover that? 
You know, that's an interesting question also, Valeria. I mean, I think we go through life and one of the advantages of moving a little further into life as the years go by, there is a wisdom, I think, that begins to settle into our life. And there are times throughout life, sometimes it happens after a loss. That's a big one. Sometimes, you know, it's changing jobs or moving across country. But there are moments in your life that will especially lend themselves to self-reflection. And I feel like, in a sense, our purpose somewhat emerges, you know, it's sort of like lifting a body out of the water. Um, Initially, you don't see it. And as you lift the body out of the water, you know, there's this, you know, smiling, dripping person there, right? And so I think it just sort of subtly emerged over time. Uh, Not something that I necessarily set out to do. I think it's just, you start to discover that's where your heart is and how that's guided choices in terms of things I've done for a living and the way I interact with people in a day-to-day world. So on your website, in your book too, you say love is a habit. Talk to me for a moment about that, your perspective on love. That's a, That was definitely a perspective that has come to me in the course of the last year, year and a half, um, really understanding how love is a habit. And what that means is when we love people, and we don't think about love as a habit, I mean, obviously it's an emotion or it's really a whole collection of emotions. But it is a habit because the way we love people takes shape in rituals and habits and routines. And so as I thought back on moments of loss, and I went through a period, it's been a while now, almost two decades ago, particularly after my mother died and a friend committed suicide, where I was really struggling for about a two-year period. And long story short, I came to realize that part of what was holding me up and really making me feel stuck and unable to move forward in my life is there were these gaps in my days that used to be filled with either physically being with people that were no longer there or thinking about them or thinking about talking with them or having you know the phone conversation that I would no longer have. So I began to realize that when you love people, you're either spending time with them or you're preparing to spend time with them, you're doing little things for them. And it's the habit of that that makes loss especially challenging because you end up with holes in your days. Wow, I never thought it that way, but makes so much sense to me. I have heard before, I think one of my guests, she had this in her book, I believe, that grief is the price of love. Does it make sense to you, that quote? I could not agree more. I often say it's it's love's fault that we express <laughs> grief. I mean, if we yeah. didn't care about anybody, yeah. we, you know, it would be so much easier to lose them, right? Sure. And um, so sure. I think that's why, yeah, when you love deeply, you know, and another loss that often gets lost, if you will, is people's love for their companion animals. I've worked with so many people over the years who lose cats and dogs. And again, it goes back to that love as a habit because they're such a part of our daily lives. We have little rhythms and routines. And for some people who, you know, their kids and grandkids may not be near, but that animal is with them all the time. And if they didn't love that animal, um, you know, it just wouldn't be the grief. So I couldn't agree more with your with your guest. What is your understanding and idea of healing? Do you see a destination for healing somehow? You know, I see it less as a destination and more as an ongoing process. I mean, even you know, when you talk about healing from grief, for instance, it's not like you're like it's not like just a wound that is completely gone. I think of it as a wound where you still have a little scar. There's still something there that you notice and you feel. So healing to me is you know is trying to get your way back to well-being so you can be. Your life can be turned upside down by 
by health issues, by emotional issues, loss. And healing in that sense is trying to get your life back to a place where it has meaning and purpose. And yet that healing continues. It never really stops. I think as long as we continue to be in this life, in our lives, Mm. we are continuing to heal from old wounds and you were always moving toward new ones. You can't get mm. so you know, life is like that, right? And <laughs> yes, so it's an yeah. on it's to me it's a really an ongoing process. But mm. there is a goal which is well being and having that sense of purpose and meaning in life, which which helps us helps us feel like we really are meant to be here, which we are. I have another question about what would you say is another word for grief? Would you replace grief with another word? Oh, there could be so many words. I think one of the misperceptions about grief is that we tend to see grief mostly as just sadness or crying, but grief is a kaleidoscope of emotions. There's anger, there's guilt, there's shame, there's regret, there's reluctance, there's loneliness, there's longing. There are so many um, words, emotions, mental mindsets that get tied up in grief. Um, And it is a little different. I mean, there's loss, like some people say, what's the difference between loss and grief? And loss is the physical somebody or something was here and now it's gone. Grief is that internal emotional reaction. And then mourning is often substituted. But mourning to me is more taking that outer, you know, real world loss, that inner world grief and all its variety of emotions. And mourning then becomes how we weave those together and create a path forward for ourselves and begin to find our way back into our lives. I never heard it that way too. I just read in your book, and that's an interesting perspective. I'll be asking you more questions about it. The suggestions you give, I mean, I'm already talking about the book without wanting to now, but it's so interesting. The suggestions you give, the tools per se, it comes to me in a sense of um, almost like prevention or preparation. So my question is, is that possible in any way to prepare to lose a loved one or an animal we love? Well, I think at a certain point in life it is. So often our first losses are when we're kids, and it often is a grandparent or an animal as our first loss. And I do think that once you've experienced a loss and how you deal with or don't deal well with that loss can set you up for how other losses affect you. I will also say having had quite a few losses in my life, starting when I was three and a half years old to, you know, very recent times, um, depending on that relationship and the dailiness of that relationship, that habitual nature of love, right, um, affects how, how I grieve. But I do feel like once I develop some of these these practices and tools, as you call them, they absolutely are a big part of what carries me forward. Um, and as I experience other losses, whether that's the death of someone or other kinds of losses we have in our life, loss of, you know, physical well-being or or loss of, um, you know, other relationships. Maybe not to death, but you know, maybe people move and we we lose a, a physical presence of someone. There's been a lot of loss during the pandemic because we've been how to isolate. So talk to me about what has changed for you, Kimberly, in what way your life has changed and what new perspectives you have. As a result of living through the pandemic? Yes, we still are actually, right? Uh, Yep, indeed. And just when we think we're about to get out of it, things take a little turn. Right, right. Actually, part of my motivation for writing the book was what was unfolding around me, you know, a little over a year ago in 2020, watching 
people be afraid, watching people have losses, not only losses from COVID, but a lot of people I know lost loved ones. And, you know, we talk about needing to be socially distanced. And it's one thing to live socially distanced. But what I was discovering through friends and donors and people that I worked with is that socially distant death was turning out to be a lot harder, not only for the people leaving, but also for the family members who could not be with their loved ones um, at the end of their life. And so for me, a big part, I think this has been a time where a lot of us have done self-reflection and finding that you know, are we doing all that we want to do? Are we doing all that we can do to support others on their journey? And so for me, the biggest outcome in, in for me is has been writing this book. And then as an outcome of the book, working with people more intentionally and more broadly who are navigating loss and grief and trying to rebuild their lives. What do you love most about being in a human body? What do I love most about being in a human body? Yes. Um, touch. You know, I mean, yeah. this is just really the first thing that comes to my mind is touch. I mean, our minds can, our energy, and there's, you know, our minds can do a lot, but they can't physically touch. And it kind of gets back to what we talked about earlier and, and being isolated in a pandemic. A big part of that isolation was in the form of just basic human touch. Um, so I like that part, you know, and, and it's not only me touching others, but just having skin, you know, you feel I live in the redwoods and we have foggy mornings and that feeling of, of dew on your arms in the morning, that um, feeling of warmth and coldness. It just, to me, it, it helps you feel truly alive to have this body and all of its imperfections. Um, it's, a, you know, you're kind of a walking sensory creature. Freedom. What is freedom to you? What is to be free? Oh, my goodness. There are so many ways that I could answer that question, Valeria. I mean, yeah. I've worked in done some work in the developing world where freedom has a very different context. I grew up yeah. with parents who said, if you apply yourself, you can be whatever you want to be. And mm -hmm. then for a while, I was working with children in the developing world. And what I discovered in some parts of the world due to poverty, lack of water or food or health services, or the politics or war going on in those countries, children really could not be anything. And matter of fact, in some cases, they didn't even know how to dream bigger for their lives because They, they just were in these, these very confining situations. So I think for me, freedom is being able to really be yourself um, and be accepted by others. But even if you're not accepted, to still be able to be yourself, whatever that is, and, and live out um, whatever that I call, I call it an invisible thread, you know, this invisible thread that is you that you may change over the course of your lifetime. But there's this core essence of, of who you are that you're constantly discovering. And so the freedom to actually just be able to be who you are and unlock your own potential in life. Do you connect be yourself to self-love? I do. I think, you know, sometimes it can sound selfish, you know, to, right. to love yeah. yourself. And yet it is like, you know, as they say on the airplanes, mm -hmm. right, you do yeah. actually have to secure your own oxygen mask before helping others. Right. So it's not about loving yourself above all others. But right. I think right. a lot of people, women more often, perhaps, but I think men as well, often are in such roles of caring for others that we can neglect ourselves and right. it doesn't allow us to be not only fully us ourselves for ourselves, right. but fully ourselves for the mm. people around us. Right. So I think right. it is an important ingredient to being able to help others and be, um, be fully, just to, like I said, to live our full potential in life.
You wrote the book, Grieving Us, a field guide for living with loss without losing yourself. Talk to me about the main inspiration and intention of writing your book and also the influence of the um, philanthropy work that you have done or do. How is it connected to this book? Certainly. Well, um, part of the inspiration for the book was just being, you know, kind of going through the pandemic and in the early stages of the pandemic, seeing and hearing and interacting with people by phone and Zoom and realizing that there were a lot of people struggling and that I had struggled at different times and had found a pathway to being able to navigate loss and grief and to still live fully, to still have joy in, in my daily life every single day, even though every day isn't perfect and every yeah. day there is not necessarily beautiful or easy and that there's hardship, but that joy is there anyway. So part mm -hmm. of my motivation was truly to want to help others. And I also knew that in the writing of it, I would also help myself because it was very he healthy for me just to write the book, um, in, not just in service to others, but to get some things out of my head and out of my heart and into the world that I hope is helpful. In terms of my work in philanthropy, for many years, I have worked with um, donors, charitable donors, one-to-one, -one, helping them often at do end of life planning, whether that's estate planning or other kinds of planning or, you know, for their end of life. We work our whole lives building up resources, but, you know, yeah. we can't take it with us. So right, right. what I found is so often people are motivated to give, whether that's during life or as part of their estate planning, because of loss. I mean, that's something that I reflected on that mm -hmm. even people in my field don't often see. But so often it's trying to remember somebody that they love. It's trying to make something meaningful and positive out of something traumatic that happened in their life at some point. So, so the connection there was realizing I had heard so many stories over the years of people navigating loss, trying to make meaning out of something that really feels pretty meaningless. I mean, to yeah. lose somebody you love, where it's a right. child, a spouse. So yeah. that was a big motivation as well to share, obviously protect privacy and change some of the details. So people's privacy and their losses are, are protected. But there's also some stories there that I think can help others dealing with similar things. Yeah, and certainly does. I love your work, though. It's very rich in so many ways, and it made me reflect. I mean, what I do with all these amazing people talk, uh, I'm always reflecting, which is something that I always loved to do. So thank you for being one more of these people to inspire. Well, thank you. I mean, you certainly put yourself in a position to talk with some remarkable, and I've listened to several of your podcasts recently, and um, you do have some remarkable guests that you get to interact with. Yeah, I found this in your book, I must have found. You say, we all grieve differently, and by understanding our natural approach to grief, we can better support ourselves in achieving well-being. So my question is, what would a natural approach to grief look like? Could you describe them? Well, you know, I've over time, we all grieve differently. I think that's the most important thing for anybody. And, and yet every time I talk with people who are grieving, 
I can't tell you how often they say things like, I just talked with a woman last week who said to me, well, I'm just doing this. This morning I broke down crying. I just feel like I should be further along. Well, her loss was in February. That's not that long ago. And she lost a life partner. Um, I, there are other people who say, you know, I'm not a crier and people make me feel bad because I'm not crying all the time. And what I discovered and what science has discovered is there, while we're each individual and some of us are introverts, others extroverts, there are three broad patterns in terms of the way people tend to grieve. Um, and, you know, one's called intuitive or what I call the, the bear griever, because they're often the ones that are more likely to express emotion and often want to just climb in a cave and hibernate for a while. They really need to have, you know, to be able to express their emotion, but also be able, it's draining. It's very energy draining. So they also need to sometimes sequester themselves a little bit. There's others who, that I call the the hummingbirds, they're, they're in, instrumental grievers and their approach is to really um, just push through. They're ones where they're going to take action. They're going to use their thought processes to help them deal with grief. They may not be the ones who are crying as much and they're going to be the ones that get things done because that's how they move through it. And then they're what I call the blended or I like to say chameleon grievers because those are folks and a lot of people fall into this where they'll behave one way when they're by themselves and another way maybe when they're with people. So you know, uh, mothers often will say, you know, I don't want to bring my children down or my family down and they'll seem okay in front of other people. And then privately, you know, they may, they're still working through their grief. So each of these different styles, you know, what works for some doesn't work for others. But I do think just letting yourself acknowledge that the way you're grieving is the way you're meant to grieve until you get to an extreme. You know, and most people don't get to extremes. But if you get to an extreme where you're thinking of self-harm, that's a signal that something's wrong. Um, if you're not feeling any sense of well-being or joy in your life, that's a sense that you probably need, need to be reaching out for some help in your grieving process. And you mentioned earlier about grief and joy, that they can coexist. I'm wondering if this is after a period of time. If this is not the in the first stage of grief, is there a time, Kimberly, for that? Well, you know, it's interesting. I what most people think of when they think of grief and joy is they think of them as being almost opposites. Yeah. yeah. Or they think about I've got to get through my grief to get to joy. Yeah, yeah. And I remember having a conversation not that long ago with another individual. And I said, well, you know, grief isn't, I mean, joy is not a destination. Mm. It's actually a dimension. Mm. And so right. my own experience is even, mm. it's harder to see that joy when you have truly raw, very recent grief. It's going to be very hard to see it. But what I can say is that it is there. It's not like something else has to happen. Um, a lot of what uh, the practices that I teach in the book are about creating breaks in the grief so yeah. that you have some moments of joy, even in the midst of pretty challenging grief, to have those little breaks, those moments of joy. And then over time, the goal is to broaden out those moments so that there's more joy and well-being. And, you know, grief will come and go over time um, because the loss will go with us. I, I like to say loss comes along and then it comes along with us for the rest of our life. Mm, yeah. Grief doesn't have to be all the time or every day. And joy is there. I mean, so often people, even in the midst of deep grief, will start to find themselves laughing and then they'll immediately pull back, almost, you know, embarrassed that, you know, how could I have a moment of feeling good when someone I deeply love is gone? Right. And that's a natural reaction. But we also don't want to prevent ourselves from experiencing joy because that's what's going to help save our lives moving forward. 
Wow, what a beautiful message, right? Because grief and joy, they're almost the same. Uh, it's almost the same thing, but just a different expression. They're emotions, right? So different expressions of, of that love, of love. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, think of it as a coin and there's two sides, but it is the same coin. And that coin in this case is your life. And so even in really deep grief, and again, I will say, Time does help for sure, but uh, I know once I discovered how to create a break, and it started by accident, but once I discovered that, now as I have had griefs and I've had losses and deaths since then, I've been able to draw on those resources, and even in those early days, to have moments where I smile and moments, and to me, you know, part is defining joy. I mean, joy doesn't mean like you're ebulliently happy. Joy is really that sense that you are meant to be here, that this, that in this particular moment, even though you're missing someone you love, it's okay. I mean, th there's the flowers are still blooming, the sun is still coming up, or the rain is still coming down, but you have the sense of meaning that you are meant to be here, and that somehow you are going to move forward, and you feel you have a moment of just well-being. And so, you know, I guess I do want to clarify that, I'm, you know, we're not talking about you're going to go out partying the day while you're leaving. <laughs> yes. But you can't feel, a lot of people feel a sense of lost meaning and purpose or like my life means nothing without this other person that I, or this animal that I've lost. Yeah. And really they are still here and they still have mm. purpose and meaning and they just, you know, it's just helpful for folks to be able to see that and feel it. I love the way you said that, that they're still here. Yeah. Through you, through your love, it's still here. I love the dedication in your book, um, the very beginning. You say, I'll just um, paraphrase or read one a line that caught my attention. This refers to your sisters. You say, you are the loss that comes along with me. And then I believe this is your parents, the second one. You say, I miss you, yet you are still with me. And then there's another one that's for Terry. That's your husband, I take. I'm not sure if I got that yes. right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and yeah. I forgot to ask that off record, actually. So Kimberly, we can remove that if you don't want to mention. But how is your husband? Um, he's, he's hanging in there and we're still, you know, together and we're just taking one, you know, one day at a time. But he's, he's still, uh, we're still together. And um, hanging in. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, beautifully said. Uh, this, um, the dedication, that really caught my attention. And then another thing that you say that's really powerful, you say, make the most of your one and only heartbroken and still beautiful life. And you say something that has to do with spirituality, too, that caught my attention. I have to find here. Yeah, let me see. Oh, yes. You said, joy habits and giving yourself to something bigger than you can help you more fully live your heartbroken and still beautiful life. So I'm wondering if these, um, the way you speak here and that refers to a spirituality, to life after life somehow. It does. I mean, it, it actually works on so many levels, Valeria. Yeah. Um, it's just so many levels because, first of all, I think some people will have said to me, I feel like people are telling me to move on and they want me to sort of leave my loved one behind. And you know, everybody needs to figure out what works right for them. Okay, yeah. I'm not going to say that doesn't work for some people. But for most people I work with, it's really about how do I, I don't have the physical presence in my life, 
but I don't want to leave them behind. And so part of it is each person figuring out how do I carry that person with me in a new way into my life. I think the other side of it, you know, the reason I keep mentioning your one and only and your heartbroken and still beautiful life is I think there's a tendency to see ourselves as broken people, whether that's after the loss of someone we love or in many other ways that we can see ourselves as broken. And, you know, we are all broken in many ways, but we are still beautiful. It's like the the teacup that has a chip, but it was, you know, your grandmother's teacup, you know, so it has all this wonderful meaning to you spiritually and physically. And does the chip really matter? No, it's just a sign of, of being used and loved. I mean, usually when we have things that break, it's because we're using them and enjoying them. And I think that's as people, you know, we need to make sure that we, that every, I really just want everyone to understand that your life is still beautiful, even if it feels very dark and broken right now. It is a miracle to me to be in a human body. Yeah. However we find ourselves this time, it's a miracle. It's really a challenge to embrace it all, isn't it, Kimberly? Life, the experience in a human body with everything. It is. It is. And I know at different times I've had my own spiritual explorations, especially because I had losses starting at such a young age. I spent a lot of time trying to looking at different, you know, religions and philosophies about what happens after life. You know, where do people go? Where are the people and the animals that I love? And there's no real answer. And I came to the conclusion that in the end, I need to focus less on that, you know, sort of what happens later and just realize all we know for sure that we all know for sure that we can agree on is this moment at this time in this body. Um, And so how do I make the most of that? Um, Hopefully there's some other wonderful things and we all have our beliefs about that, but we can all believe in right now. I love the way you talk about your cat too. I'm not sure if I can pronounce his name. Moy, Muir. Oh, Muir. <laughs> Muir. Yeah, yeah. He, was, he was named after John Muir. Uh, that is you know, so yeah. cute the way you talk about him. Yeah, being there for almost 13 years, being next to you, always there. Storytelling. Talk to me for a moment about storytelling or writing our stories help with grief, Kimberly. They make it, yeah, Valeria, storytelling makes a huge difference. I use storytelling in the book because I feel like when we hear other stories, it helps us feel a little bit less alone and more like there's others sharing a different but very similar path. In terms of your lost story, you know, we each have a lost story. And as I share in the book, so often after the loss of someone we love, people will ask us, you know, what happened? How did it go? And we'll we have these stories that we will tell about what happened, you know, like physically what happened, how did they die? um, How are we feeling? And often we're constantly editing those stories because we're talking to this person. We might shape it one way for a distant relative, another way for our boss at work. And so often people don't tell themselves their true heartfelt loss story. And that's one of the reasons I encourage people to take time on their own or with a friend who will just sit there quietly and let you tell your own loss story to just tell your story to yourself. Because so often we've edited so many things based on the audience that we haven't let ourselves be able to fully appreciate and and acknowledge what has really happened in our lives as a result of losing a beautiful person we loved. Right. And so. still love. I mean, we still love them. The love doesn't stop. <laughs> and love never dies, right? Uh, it's a cliche, but it's so true. 
Yes, it is. I love the way you, you say, you describe the practice of tiny comeback to your senses rituals as griefing mindfully. That's the description. And I mean, I love that too. You say um, it's taken a break from grief, these practices and rituals. So would you like to um, give the audience a bit more about, expand more on the tiny comeback to your senses rituals? Thank you for asking about that, Valeria. And yes, I would love listeners to know because that's really, I think, the most basic, simple thing a person can do at any point in their grieving process. Or as many people have said to me, I don't have to be in a state of grief. I could just, I use these every day just to get through the days. Um, but the idea is, and I really landed on it by accident, but when I was grieving the loss of my mother, and I had moved across country from where she had passed away, started a new job, living in a new home, probably made a lot of bad decisions right around that time, you know, to totally turn my world upside down. But um, I was in deep state of grief for the better part of two years, but we lived near a river. And so one night, I always locked all the doors at night before I went to bed. And I, but that, that night, I decided to walk out to the river and just, you know, listen to the river. And I, listening to the water, and as I've shared with others, um, sometimes the, the sound of water going through rocks almost sounds like voices, people talking, and in a good way. I mean, and it's just, you know, it's just the, the water and the rocks talking to each other as they kind of move through the night. And I just stood there and I listened and I could hear maybe some birds shuckling in the trees up above and there were some fir trees and so you hear some of the wind through the firs it makes kind of a whirring sound and so I then walked back to go ahead and lock the doors and go to bed and in the moment on my way back I realized in that space that I stood by the river I was not sad I had taken a break from grief and I felt okay I just felt really okay and that's when I knew and that's and it took me a while before I came up with the name tiny come back to your senses rituals as I was sharing this with other people but that's exactly what it is and you don't have to live by a river or be in nature although that definitely helps I've helped people create these rituals around an amazing range of of you know building them into habits that aren't broken when we're grieving because so much gets broken when you're grieving and finding that like I make a cup of tea every morning no matter what's happening so that's another place to create a tiny ritual so that's the idea is that you're really just take using your senses to be reconnected to the moment and in doing so you're you're calming your mind and you are taking a break break from difficult emotions. In your book, you said something interesting that I never heard before. You say, you always grieve through death, whether or not you realize it. You grieve the person you lost and are reminded of your own mortality. You also grieve the relationship you had with others. So you grieve um, the person who has passed on and then you grieve yourself and then the relationship. I never thought it that way. It's so true. And a lot of people discover anxiety after a loss. And part of that, it may not be like in your front of your conscious mind, but part of that anxiety comes from the fact that, that, that someone else's death has triggered that sense that of your own safety and security and that you'll always be here and that there will always be another tomorrow. And sometimes that will be at play in the background and they may not even realize how much they are um, grieving their own future loss. I have a few more questions for you. The ending questions, Kimberly. Would you like to add anything or read a passage in your book? Well, um, you know, I think we've been we've been talking for a while, and I know your <laughs> listeners want to, you know, have a nice, concise um, dialogue. I'd love to do a reading 
from the book, but I think for now, um, just, you know, we'll just kind of continue the dialogue at this point. All I would say is, you know, I do, you know, I would love to have anyone that's, that's dealing with grief or loss, have a chance to read the book or check out the book. I've got it in all formats, you know, ebook and audiobook and, and paperback. So, uh, that as well. And I, um, am also excited about, uh, as a result of interest in the book, uh, I am currently putting together a workshop, uh, of, for individuals grieving to walk them through. People have said, I love the practices. Can you, can I work with you? How can we do that? So I'm really excited about working directly with people to help them implement some of the things I talk about in the book. Oh, that sounds wonderful. Please send me a link if you have a specific link for your services. I'll have on your podcast profile too. Certainly. So a few more questions. Let me see. I'll ask this one. How do you define success these days? What is to be successful to you? Well, you know, again, that's one of the things as we grow older, definitely my definition of, su- yeah. of success has evolved over time and ebbed and flowed. Right now, to me, success is trying to be helpful to others, trying to, without, you know, overdoing. I think I've been the kind of person that tends to, you know, I've had moments in my life where I've been workaholic or, um, so to me, it's trying to be helpful to others in a way that they really want, not assuming what they want. Also making sure that I take care of myself so that I don't feel sort of lost in the shuffle. Um, And then I think, you know, feeling like I'm making a difference. I mean, to me, the biggest part of success is feeling like, and it can be tiny. It could be something as simple as a random act of kindness or a kind word to a stranger in the store Mm -hmm. that, you know, maybe made their day better and I may never even know. And other times it really may be working directly with someone to help them plan a memorial gift through their estate plan or helping them think through what they want at the end of their life or helping them uh, work with a charity to do something meaningful that relates to a shared passion they have with a loved one. It's really that helping someone else to fully live what's possible for them. I love that intention, um, that vision, that uh, practice. It's beautiful, Kimberly. Highly spiritual. I keep saying that because it, it comes to me that way. It, it is. Yeah, because we yeah, all connected. It it's uh, fundamentally, it's, uh, it's that connection, that community, universal community. Uh, so my last question is, what are three things about life you know for sure as of this moment? Wow. Okay. Three things that I know about life uh-huh, for yeah. sure, um, that it's unpredictable, yeah. that it will go way too fast and feel too brief. Mm. And that there is always something in every day that is beautiful or will make us smile or will make us laugh. Yeah, those those are the first three things that came to my mind, Valeria. <laughs> yeah, it sounds wonderful to me. Thank you so much again, Kimberly, for your presence, Thank you. your work, your wisdom, and everything else in between. Thank you. Thank you so much. And before we say goodbye, where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services, and future projects? Well, I have set up a special landing page for your listeners, Valeria. So my website is poetowl.com and I will send you a link and I have a, you know, a backslash um, that I'll add that I'm adding that's um, quest for well-being so that, you know, your listeners can find their way to a page specifically for them on my website. Wonderful. Thank you again. And we'll talk soon. Bye for now. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Kimberly Pittman Schultz and her work, please visit poetowl.com.
learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.